Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. Alrighty, so grab your Bibles. And you're going to want to open up to Acts chapter 7, and you'll want to be at the end of Acts chapter 7. Yes, so Acts chapter 7, if you don't have a Bible, uh, these, these beautiful young men are going to pass them out to you. So last week, we shared at Branches um, how uh, we see through the book of Acts how money is always dealt with, and we saw in the book of Acts how... Um, it, it's not about the money, but the heart with the money, because we're trying to look for patterns in the book of Acts. We're going through Acts at the same time that NBC is showing that uh, AD series where they're actually going through the first 10 chapters of Acts. So we wanted to go through it at the same time, because when you watch that, that miniseries, it's like seeing the Bible not in black and white, but in color, literally. And so in that process, though, we've reached a point where we're at Acts chapter, the end of Acts chapter 7, and especially Acts chapter 8. So tonight... Uh, at, I think it's at 9 o'clock on NBC, they're going to have, um, they're going to go through Acts chapter 8. It's going to be a large part of the emphasis. And it fits with what we talked about last week. So I'll show you um, the first uh, passage. This is where we centered on last week and we finished with this. And in Acts chapter 6, uh, the disciples are dealing with a situation, one of the many situations with money. And in that situation, um, they see these widows, and they have the Greeks and the Jews, but they're all believers. And the problem is the money, the food's not being distributed evenly. And so they're very frustrated, and they're angry. And so with that, the disciples realize, wait, we're, we're managing all this. We're making all these decisions, and this needs to be something where everybody's involved, and so we need to involve other people. So here we are. Uh, verse 3, we will turn this responsibility over to them. So this responsibility of caring, the, the goods and the possessions, we're going to turn this back over instead of us making all decisions. Let's pass it over and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The proposal, everybody was excited about it, which doesn't always happen, but it says that everybody thought it was a good idea. And so they chose Stephen, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. They chose Stephen, a man of full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and they chose these other men, and then they presented them to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So what we did last week was that we've let you know that what we're going to do as a church is that we've made a decision to give at least 15 to up to 25% of the money that comes into the church, we just give it away. And we want to continue to do that. However, we're going to do it differently, because now we're going to hand the responsibility over to you. And we'll talk about that in the next few weeks because what was happening was is, is we as a leadership team were making these decisions, but you didn't get to be involved in it. You may be giving money to the church, but you didn't get to see where that went and you didn't get your hands into caring for people because, oh, someone else is caring. I'll just give them money and they'll send it out. But we want to connect you and involve you in this giving. We want you to see it happen. We want you to be involved. So that's what we're going to do. Um, and that's what happens with Stephen and these other six. However, just letting you know what could possibly happen, you could get killed. You probably didn't expect to hear that this morning. It's probably not likely, 
but it happens. And that's what happens to Stephen. We're going to get into that in a little bit. But Stephen eventually is, get, gets this responsibility with the other six. And God's using him and he's, and he's caring for people. And in the midst of this, somehow, the leadership, the Sanhedrin that we've talked about, the ruling council, they get infuriated. And so they confront him. And he comes back with sharing that Christ rose from the dead and they ignored it. And through that, they decide to kill him. And this passage is the, the central focus, this next slide, is the central passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. Because these are Stephen's final words. Stephen is the first Christian martyr. Now, my great-grandma was here earlier. Um, remember I talked about having moms and aunties. She's, she's not my blood great-grandma, but she's my great-grandma. She's grandma. And um, she said, well, I came on Mother's Day. And I didn't expect you to talk about death. Um, but she said it was good. Um, this is good. In fact, it sounds weird, but I was really excited. I think Jeremy kind of saw me. I was a little giddy this morning because I'm excited to share about this because it's not about death. This is about life. Because we see Stephen here. And these are his last words. And he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, these are his very last words. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Who are the them? The people that are stoning him. The people that are murdering him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That's an idiom for dead. This is when he died. We're going to get into it a little bit deeper because I want to slow it down so we can see what's actually happening here. But this is a man who's fearless. He's facing death and he's fearless. And you can see plenty of people that face death and they're just, you know, put their chin in there, bring it on. But at the same time, to have that compassion, that's not normal. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Where does that come from? And my question for us is what will be your last words? Now, you may not, it may be a surprise, it may be a car accident, it may be sudden, but the doctors are very sure about this, that seven out of seven human beings will die. <laughs> so our moment is coming, and we will have last words. It may be a surprise, or you may know it's coming. As my great-grandmother and I were talking about with, with Grandpa, who just passed away this past year, he knew it was coming, and we know what his words were. And they say this about your last words, that your last words... Maybe the words in your life that make the most sense. And another way to look at it, and this is the way I prefer to look at it, that if you have the opportunity to think through what your last words would be, would be they're the words that probably sum up your life the best. Now, I had a trial run at this death thing. I had a couple of them. Greg, who plays the bass, uh, and one of the elders at our church came up. He goes, I was surprised you didn't mention that time in Africa when Mora was driving us around. Because that was also kind of a life or death situation. But this particular situation that I was remembering, I've shared this story before, so I won't get into the depths of it. But I, I was in bed, and I'd, I'd caught this um, fever virus from a rat, because uh, I was dealing with all these rats. And my fever went up. You know that number that you're not supposed to reach, like it's over 104 or something when you're an adult? Like if it's that, like you're towards death. And, you know, you can't afford the real thermometer, so you buy the one at Walmart or whatever and Target or wherever you go. And then you, it, it's kind of on, it's kind of off. But it kept like going way over 104. I'm like, oh, this thing must be broken. Let's try this thing again. And it just kept shooting up. 
So Steph ran to go to the doctor. And as I'm sitting there, I start hallucinating. And I, I mean, when you feel your own heat, you're like, okay, this is bad. And at that moment, I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is it. And I was really surprised at the peace I felt. And I was really sad because Steph and I were a newly married couple that, that year. And I thought, oh, great. We get married and I'm going to die. I'm going to be one of those. We're going to be one of those stories, one of those Reader's Digest stories where, oh, that young couple and then the husband died because of rat virus. And it was just this sadness. <laughs> I had this sadness for leaving her, but at the same time, it, I was surprised because you don't know how it's going to be. You know, like, I wonder, like, what's that moment going to be? Because my moment will come where I will die. And I, I don't know how that moment's going to be, but I got a practice run at it, and I was really surprised at the peace that was there. That peace is not because I, it's from the Lord. And I was excited and excited now to look back and to see that. And when I see Stephen dying here, I see that confidence. But I see something else he has here that I didn't have, which is this compassion. God is going to complete the work in me and, and he wants to do this work in all of us. Because each of you are going to face this moment of death. But each of you have to deal with the fear of it on a daily basis. I mean, just two days ago, my house started shaking a little bit. I'm like, is this the one? And we're in California, so it crosses your mind. You try not to think about it, right? We don't want to think about death. Thinking about death is like staring into the sun, so let's just not think about it. But then when you have to fly somewhere, you're like, this is a metal tube. This is, re- is this really a good idea? Like all the possibilities of what could go wrong. Or let's face it, you don't know if you're going to come up with some disease or sickness or whatever, because you just don't know, because that's how life is. As BZ said, it's just a beautiful mess. And yet we have this thing, this moment that's out there, and we try to ignore it. And I want us this morning not to ignore it, but to stare it full in the face and to tell you have nothing to be afraid of. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, had nothing to be afraid of. So we're going to jump into it. Um, but as we're talking here about these, these last moments, I want us to look at Acts chapter 7, and I want us to see what's happening here. So what's happened is, we, as we talked about, um, if you could go to verse 54 of chapter 7. So Acts 7, verse 54. And right before that, um, they, they brought him before this, this ruling council. Now remember, this ruling council has already brought Jesus to the cross, by bringing him to Pontius Pilate. Um, they have threatened several times Peter and John and brought them before the council and they changed their mind when they could have killed him. So this council, they kill people. It's uh, our elder team. Uh, we don't have that authority. I don't think we would take that. But in this community, this religious community of faith, they have the ability to kill people, to stone them under Jewish law. And so they bring him before and he knows this and yet he begins to preach to them. And this is how he finishes his sermon. He goes through the history of the people of Israel. And this is how he finishes in verse 51. You stiff-necked people. Okay, you're like, ooh, stiff-necked. That's like saying, diddly darn it all. But stiff-necked, that's basically him coming close to cussing right there. At this ruling council. Not a wise idea when they have the power to kill you. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. That is a Jewish slam. 
You are just like your ancestors, who he's just beat up on. You always resist the Holy Spirit. He's not going in a good direction here for his health, but he's not afraid. He wants to tell the truth, and everybody's listening, and he's, was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. And when the members of the Sanhedrin, that's the ruling council, when they heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then he says this. Look, so you know he's pointing, right? He's not like, hey, look, he's pointing, look. I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices and they all rushed at him. Can you see that? That, ah! I don't want to yell too loud and then blow your ears out. And then they rush at him. That fury. Because how dare he say that Christ is at the right hand of the Father? They've heard enough. And so they drag him out of the city and they began to stone him. Now I want to make sure that you understand what it means to stone them. Because I originally, when I first heard about people being stoned in the Bible, I'm like, what? They just picked up rocks and threw them out? I mean, I know what it is to throw rocks at people. I did it from age 5 to age 10. Like, that's what you do. But that's not what's happening here. This is an official process of killing someone. It is a religious court of law. And the way it's supposed to be done is a process, calmly done, where they have conversation, dialogue back and forth like a trial. And then they're supposed to take this person, if the decision has been made, they they go through the process, the decision is made, and then they take this person and they throw them off a cliff. But the cliff, there's a rule for it, the cliff has to be at least twice as tall as them. So I'm like 5'8", so it has to be like 11 feet or so. And then what you're supposed to do, so imagine this is a 10, 11 foot ledge. I don't know how tall the guy was. Uh, so they take Stephen, and they obviously didn't do it calmly. So we see that things are being missed here. And they throw him off. And the plan is, they say in the rule book, in, in the Talmud, you're supposed to throw them off, and they're supposed to land on their back. I don't know how they control that. I don't know how they make that happen, but they throw, you look down, so the people that stoned him, they look down, if the person's not dead, so they look down, they say, Stephen's not dead, what you're supposed to do is go grab a big rock, and since they're on their back, you're supposed to drop it onto their heart. Obviously not medical professionals, but they think if you drop this big rock, that it'll hit the heart and it'll stop. If at that point, the person is not dead, then everybody else is supposed to grab rocks and just keep throwing it down. Because obviously some of them don't have good arms, so you want gravity to take effect. And they're all just throwing down until the person dies. That's what stoning is. So when we see this while they were stoning him, that's what's happening. Yet while this is happening, Stephen prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I don't know if this is how I'm going to go. But I also don't know if that's going to be my response, that calmness and that peace and that fearlessness. Because he's not afraid of where he's going. And I think it's partially because he just said, look, there's Jesus. We had a moment in our family where um, our daughter uh, died. And 
my wife was able to see Jesus holding our daughter in heaven. I know it sounds crazy, and my wife, I love the way she shares it. She goes, I didn't want to tell anybody. I go, why? Because it was my moment. I didn't want to tell anybody. And I said, well, do you worry about telling people? He goes, no, I don't care if they believe it or not. I did not tell it to them for them. I'm telling it for me. And for her to see that, like you just see this confidence, and it's really had this huge effect on our family over the past couple of years. And I see Stephen being able to look up into heaven and see this. What is he going to be afraid of? Oh, you're going to hit me with rock? Like seriously, what can they do to him? He's seen the Lord. He knows who he is. He knows where he's going. He knows what life really is. He has nothing to be afraid of. And then as he's falling on his knees, dying, he has the compassion for them. Why is he going to be angry at them? Because he realizes they don't know what's going on. How do we get to that point? How do we get to the point where Stephen's at? We get to that point by knowing who Christ really is. And I want us to look at a few. I, I want to go through this quickly. I don't want to spend too much time on this. But I, I, I wanted to see what other people's last words were. So I went online and I just said, well, what, do we have recordings of other people's last recorded words? The last words they said before they died. And here's a few of them. This was Humphrey Bogart's. He died of esophagus cancer. He said, I, should, I never should have switched from scotch to martinis. Now, why would I share something like that in the midst of what we just talked about with Stephen? Do you see the difference there? If our last words truly can sum up our lives, if our last words can give a, a, the truest thing we've ever said, I'm a little concerned. But I don't want to talk about Humphrey Bogart today. I want to talk about us. What would your last words be? What would your last response be? Because when you see someone's last words, it almost defines their purpose, what they were living for. You see what Stephen was living for. He was living for these people. Even the very people that are trying to take his life. This uh, baseball player. Sometimes we get so caught up in whatever your activities or whatever your thing is. This uh, guy named Mo Berg, literally, his last words, how did the Mets do today? Like, that's it. That's the last thing you say. There's a few others on here. And they're gradually going to get a little more intense. Leonardo da Vinci, um, who's, I mean, he's da Vinci. Hello. I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Now that's a great statement, but at the same time, like, I hope he doesn't really believe that. I hope he's not leaving with any kind of guilt or shame. It's like, are you kidding me? Let's um, look at a few others. George Washington, I die hard, but I'm not afraid to go. George Washington was a believer. And Jesus said over and over again, be not afraid. There is no reason for us to be afraid because of what Christ has done. What I didn't expect to find, I didn't even think about it, but there's all of these, um, you look it up on, online if you want, there's all of these examples of what atheists have said on their deathbed. You know, they say there's no um, atheists in foxholes. Well, that's not true. Um, I know several atheists that would just, no. However... I'm also shocked by how many more have responses like this. Sir Thomas Scott, a very famous uh, atheist from England, not our generation, but earlier. Until this moment, I thought there was neither God nor hell. Now I know and feel that there are both. And I am doomed to perdition by the just judgment of the Almighty. And the next one. 
Um, this is Thomas Paine. He you may remember him from your American history classes. A uh, great writer, was very involved in the American Revolution. And he wrote after the American Re Revolution, uh, The Age of Reason. Uh, he was attacking Christianity. He grew up in a house of faith and he had all this uh, built up toxicity from his family life and all of this. And so um, he said this on his deathbed. I would give worlds if I had them that the age of reason had never been published. Oh Lord, help me. Send even a child to stay with me for I am on the edge of hell here alone. And in this situation, he had a nurse that was over him and watching with him. And she said that he cried through the night until he passed away. Like there's a difference a tangible difference that I want us to know between being hopeful at that moment and hopeless. And I was really struck by the many, and I mean, there are so many, like pages, I just had to choose a couple of them, at the hopelessness of those that don't know Christ and know his love for us and know the truth behind it that you have nothing to be afraid of. For those that don't trust him when he says, be not afraid, for I have overcome death. Um, one more, I believe. Cesar Borgia, you know Cesar, you all know him, right? No, you don't, because he's old and died before you were born. Um, but this is what he said, and another atheist on his deathbed. While I lived, I provided for everything but death. And now I must die, and am unprepared to die. This morning, I want us to leave, and I'm so excited because I just want us to talk about this so we can be prepared. Because we have the gift. We have the gift of new life. We have the gift of what Christ has offered us. And you can be prepared. And we, it's surprising that at a church where we say we're a church for people and go to church, that we don't share this message every Sunday because we don't. We get so caught up in following Christ that sometimes we don't just come back to this amazing gift, this good news that you have nothing to be afraid of. That Christ has, has well, let, let's, let's look at what Paul said. Remember I told you that they went to throw the rocks down at Stephen? Well, they have these coats, right? They have their outer garments. So if you're going to start throwing things, you know, if they don't really, it doesn't fit well, if it's too tight or whatever, you can't really loosen up. So they take their coats off and they lay them down before they start slinging rocks. And so as Stephen's down there and they're about to sling the rocks, they take their um, coats and they say they put them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul is who we know as Paul the Apostle because at this moment he is witnessing all this and he's basically giving everyone the thumbs up. Go ahead, kill him. And so they leave all their coats with him. And then after this, we see that he is going to go through and start persecuting Christians, going to kill more, just like Stephen. Stephen was the first one to go down. But Paul is intent, Saul is intent on going and killing more Christians because they shouldn't be believing that Jesus is the Messiah. It messes with his core beliefs. And in the process of him going to Damascus, to kill more Christians on that road, that's when Christ meets him. And his whole life turns upside down. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And Saul comes to the realization of, uh-oh, what have I been doing this whole time? And so at this moment, his life turns upside down. And now he is the one. Paul the apostle is the one who is on the verge of dying on a weekly basis because people want to kill him. And yet he keeps doing it. Why? Because he's fearless. Because he knows what he knows and he has nothing to be afraid of. And this is what Paul has said about death. 
O death, where's thy sting? O Hades, or hell, where's your victory? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a man who was going around with fury and anger to kill people, and now he's like, hey, you want to kill me? Go ahead. I'm not afraid. Bring it on. Well, maybe afraid of you? Ooh. Because he knows. Because he knows what he knows. He says this in Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Hear what he's saying there? Like, to die is good. Grandma, after the first service came up and and she had tears in her eyes and she said, I still remember when Grandpa passed away and Karis, my youngest daughter, came and ran and jumped into her lap. Now, Grandma is not the strongest woman at this point. And Karis was so excited. I said, did she really jump into your lap or did she just kind of crawl in there gently? She said, no, she jumped and it was very annoying. And she jumped in and, and Karis put her hands on to grandma and said, Grandma, isn't this great? And grandma said, What is your like she she said, I almost yelled at her because her husband had just passed away, her husband of 64 years. But Karis put her hands on there and said, Isn't this great? Grandpa's with Jesus. And grandma just kind of broke and she said, Yeah, he is, isn't he? Because for him to die was gain. It wasn't gain for us. We were here and we're missing him. But and, and grandma said, out of the mouth of babes, truth will be spoken. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then later on in Philippians, Paul says this, for our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we belong. That's where we are. That's, that's our home. This is not our home. To die is gain. But while we're here, there's a purpose there's a reason for us to be here on this earth right now. Stephen knows it. Paul knows it. It's to love God and to love others. And we can get so distracted with everything else, whether it be baseball or scotch or martinis or whatever it is that would be your last words, whatever's consuming you. And yet when it comes down to that moment, are you going to look back and talk about that or are you going to talk about something else? What is it that's going to sum up your life? What is it that you're going to be passionate about? And I don't want anyone to leave here this morning without knowing that Jesus said be not afraid and he had these words to say to you can you show um, John 14 Jason Jesus said this he said do not let your hearts be troubled trust in God trust also in me my father's house has plenty of room if it were not so would I have would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And then Thomas, one of the disciples, said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And this was his response. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And let me close with this. He says, I am the way. There's nothing you can do to get this eternal life. It's given to us. It's a gift. We just have to accept it. 
and you can, there's so many times where people in their deathbed and they're, they're just dealing with all their guilt. I should have done more, I should have done more, I should have done more. And your Father in heaven just wants you to just rest in him. He loved us while we were yet sinners. You don't clean yourself up and then come to him. You just come to him and then he cleans you up like he did Saul, like he did for Stephen. He's the one that's going to place into you that fearlessness. He's the one that's going to place into you that confidence. And he's the one that's going to place in you that compassion. Because that's what God does. I, I, I haven't heard it said that way before, but I like the way BZ said it. Sometimes God just shows off because he can. And he wants to show off in your heart and in your life. And so if you've never made that decision before, you can make it now. You can make it tomorrow. But why wait? There's no reason to wait. Start that life now and see what he's going to do in your life. Well, how do I do it? How does it happen? That's what Thomas is asking here. It's very simple. There's no formula. There's no program. It's to accept the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And then knowing it's the Father except through him. And we're not just talking about heaven. We're talking about life here, that full life. It comes through him. And I want to invite the worship team up. And as they come forward, you have this opportunity. Just sit there and just sit at his feet. It's a gift. There's no magic to it. It's there for you. So if you could join me with standing. And I want to pray for us. And as I'm praying for us, I want to focus on someone else's last words. Probably the most important last words we'll ever hear. The words that Jesus shared when he was on the cross. And while he was on the cross, he just shared three words, recorded his last words before dying on the cross. He said, it is finished. It's done. We are forgiven. And heavens are open wide. We just have to accept it. And why wait? Let's get to it right now. Father, may your truth ring. May you give us the confidence as the people of God to go and to share this with all the world. But for us to do it, Lord, may it sink into our hearts first. Would you give us that confidence now? Would you reveal to us who you are? And will you reveal to our, to our hearts that we have that confidence so that we can begin to share this good news with others? That death has lost its sting. That we have nothing to be afraid of. And that we can walk through life fearlessly loving with no one and nothing to be afraid of. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.